Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. LifeSpring Church. That's where you're at this morning. If you were confused, you made it to LifeSpring Church. The idea of, of LifeSpring Church, part of our, our mission, our motive, who we are, comes from the book of John, chapter 4, and I'm not even to the, the verses yet, and I'm already starting. The, we should have had prayer for the media guy today. I didn't count the verses, but there's like four verses in every paragraph of my notes, so he's going to have to play speedy fingers today on the keyboard. But in John chapter 4, Jesus goes to visit a woman at the well. You may be familiar with that story. And she's coming out to the well, and there's a whole bunch of culture and bigotry involved in the story. And Jesus asks her for a drink, and they have a conversation. And before it's over, Jesus says, well, really, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would ask me for a drink. Because when I give you a drink, you will never thirst Again, And what was Jesus talking about? He was talking about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Ghost that said, he said that he would make us a well of living water. He asked her for a drink. He moved the conversation from wanting a drink to offering to give her a drink. And then he progressed the conversation beyond just a drink to becoming a well of living water, becoming a source of of God's spirit and God's power. And that's who we are here at LifeSpring Church. We want to help people live a spirit-filled relationship with Jesus Christ. We are a spirit-filled church. We claim to be Pentecostal in experience. We claim to be apostolic in doctrine. And so these things lead us to being a believer and being a spirit-filled church. As individuals, we are spirit-filled, and when we come together, we bring the Spirit of God with us, and when we gather together here, we want His Spirit among us. Amen? Amen. Today, we are going to take a deeper look into the Holy Ghost. What is the Holy Ghost? It's not Halloween, so we're not talking about ghosts and goblins. What is a ghost? Let's just clear that up. A ghost is the spirit of the departed one. Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven, and sent back his spirit, the spirit of the departed one. Now, what kind of spirit of the departed one came back to us? A holy one. Because it's God's spirit, and God is holy. And so the Holy Ghost is God's Holy Spirit, with us, in us, and around us, all right? So let's define Holy Ghost today. To begin this, this lesson, and it's going to be very much a lesson today, probably less hooping and hollering and preaching, very much maybe more taking the ox and a plow and just dropping the blade deep in the soil and just digging in today a little bit, all right? <clears throat> We're going to begin with 
Acts chapter 19. Paul is traveling through Ephesus and he comes across some believers. And he asks those believers in Acts chapter 19 and verse 2. Did you receive the Holy Ghost since you believed? Or have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And maybe this is the question I would pose to us as a church and as a congregation today. If you're here worshiping God with us, my assumption is going to be that you are a believer. That you believe Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of our souls. So let's take that relationship maybe to a different level a little bit deeper today. And may I ask the question to all of us here today. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you became a believer? If I could speak very plainly to you, I would say... By not having received the Holy Ghost, if you haven't, then you, you are missing out on an incredible promise that God has available to all who are believers in Him. The scripture teaches us in John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39. And I'll pause and give the, the media guy time to catch up with us. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Who's supposed to receive it? They that believe on him. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So the infilling of the Holy Spirit had not yet happened, yet Jesus was already foretelling of, it com of its coming and talking about how it would be a river of living water flowing out of us. This was a prophetic declaration by Jesus Christ. All who have repented, all who have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, should receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues, according to Acts chapter 2, 38, and Acts chapter 2, and verse 4. And we'll get to those verses a little bit more here in just a bit. So let's, let's answer this question. What is the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost, sometimes referred to as the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of God. God is a spirit. That spirit through the miraculous, was born as a baby Jesus. That spirit is Emmanuel, or Jesus is that spirit, Emmanuel, God with us. It is God manifested in flesh. But God is a spirit. It's the same spirit that dwelled in Christ. Let's go to John chapter 14, verse 17 and 18. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. He can be around you. He can be externally influencing you. And shall be in you. He will infill you. Verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Let's jump to 
Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. Today we'll qualify for your Bible reading. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you, where's God going to live? In us. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So now we see that the Holy Spirit of God or the Holy Ghost is to be a resident inside of us. He is around us. He is about us. He is influencing us externally, but he desires to be in us through an infilling of his spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? When the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, it takes residence inside of this mortal body. It is referred to as receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Or the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to grab a couple verses in Acts chapter 10. And then Acts chapter 11. Acts 10 and 47. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? There's something about once you've been baptized, there's a hunger that's set inside of you to know God, to draw closer to God, to get nearer to God. And the only way that that void in our spirit is filled is by the infilling of His Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Acts 11, 16, and 17. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. 17. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? They were looking around and they seen evidence. The Jews seen evidence that, that others had received the same gift as them. They went back all the way to the teaching of that, that radical man named John the Baptist who said, I'll baptize you in water, but there's one coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. It is this powerful experience of God living in us and infilling us that changes us and transforms us. The purpose of the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us is to comfort us. There is no fear in perfect love, the Bible teaches us. And so His love comes to dwell inside of us by His Spirit. It relinquishes fear out of our life. I don't have to be afraid of my eternity any longer because my spirit has been reconnected to my Creator. What was the death that happened to Adam and Eve? There was a spiritual death. And the curse of a physical death was placed upon them. But the immediate death that happened in Adam and Eve was a disconnection from God. 
right? Adam and Eve, every evening in the cool of the day, God would come and walk through the garden. His spirit would freely be with them and commune with them. That's pretty awesome. Then that tricky serpent beguiled Eve, and Adam willingly took of the same fruit. And in the moment that they ate of the forbidden fruit, they were split from God. Their innocence was broken. They could no longer in purity stand before the presence of God. What's the first thing they did when God showed up? They ran and hid. Because now there was a recognition that I am unholy and he is holy. I can't stand in the presence of a holy God with my unholiness, my unrighteousness. So there was a void that was placed in humanity because now that spiritual connection between humanity and divinity had been broken. You may be asking the question, well, where did that spiritual connection come from to begin with? I'll tell you. It was on the sixth day of creation. The Bible says that God reached down and took the dust of the earth and he formed it into man. And then he breathed the breath of life into man. The Bible says that man became a living soul. Everything else that God created was a result of God speaking it into existence. There's power in the word of God. God's word can create things. But there's something unique about you and I in our humanity is God didn't just simply speak us into existence. God hand molded you. I always go back to, to primary school or elementary school where you would take clay in art class and you would mold it and you would shape it and you would form it with your hands and, and there would always be fingerprints left in the molding and the shaping. You've got God's fingerprints all over you. He formed you and shaped you and set you in order. But he didn't just create you to be a, a model. I just about struck a pose, but it probably would look ignorant, so I didn't. <laughs> That's one of those thoughts while you're preaching, go strike a pose, and you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we ain't going there. He didn't form you to be the thinking man. He didn't form you to be Michelangelo's David sculpture. He didn't form you to be a, a moment, a representation of a moment in time. He created you so that you would be fluid and dynamic and moving and you would be just like him through the spirit. You would have a one-on-one -on -one connection with God. And so he breathed into us and we became a living soul. That's powerful. That makes you different than the beautiful birds that fly around and nest in your gutters. That makes you different than the wild cats that roam the safaris of Africa. That makes you different than the bear and the tiger and the massive elephant. It makes you different than dogs and cats and all the other things people fall in love with as pets. You're different because you have a spiritual connection with your creator. But that was broken. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Eve. 
And the only way that connection can be put back together is when unrighteousness is taken care of and his spirit is plugged back in. So the only way that unrighteousness can be taken care of is a sacrifice had to be given and Jesus Christ became the sacrifice for us. And because of that purification of his blood that sweeps over us, the Bible says that we are redeemed and our sins are remitted and then we are filled with his spirit. That's the first act of sanctification. That's a big Bible word. What does sanctification mean? Sanctification means just setting aside for a purpose. God sanctifies us. The first act of sanctification is he fills us with his spirit. He reconnects the plug between that empty void in our heart and his spirit. And now we again have a spiritual, spiritual connection with God. How does that happen? It happens by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That wasn't in my notes, but it was good. <laughs> Accompanying the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a hunger for the truth of God's word. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth. It comes and leads us and guides us into more truth. John 16 and 13 tells us that. The gift of the Holy Ghost is the good gift of God. All who believe on the Lord, as the scripture has said, should receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. And then we'll jump to John 7. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall the heavenly Father, your heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You should receive it, but if you're in the should, you've got to ask. You've got to want it. Let's go to John, chapter 7, verse 38 and 39. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. 39. We read this already. He spoke of the Holy Spirit that had not yet been poured out. This is what the Holy Ghost is. What is the promise? The promise is what was given to us in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. He says unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you. That's the people there. And unto your children, that's the next generation. And to all that are afar off, even as, the, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. If you're a believer of Jesus Christ, you've received a calling in your life to come and be connected back to God by His Spirit. It wasn't just a New Testament promise. It was prophesied even in the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. Here's the, the prophet Joel, and here's what he, he said. It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. 
And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And upon your servants and upon your handmaidens in those days will I pour out my spirit. I get excited about Joel chapter 2 because it's the prophetic promise. In Acts, it's the preached promise. And it's also the experienced promise. But when you look deeper into the promise, it's more than just a promise of God's outpouring. But it's a promise to this generation, the next generation, and as many generations as will heed the call of God. And it's not just generational, it's also across different people groups. Your sons and your daughters, young men, old men, your age doesn't matter. You can receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Upon your servants and on your handmaidens. It's not reserved for just some social class of people. Anybody can receive the power of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of His Holy Spirit. John the Baptist is the forerunner of Christ. He echoed the promise. We told it to you earlier. It's in Matthew 3 and 11. I'll baptize you with water and the repentance. But he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I can't even unlatch. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. It's the 14th chapter of John. Jesus has promised his disciples that he would return to them after he has ascended into heaven in the form of a comforter or in the form of the spirit of truth. This is called the Holy Ghost. Earlier, Jesus had made the statement, and we read it, that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus, in his ministry, healed the sick, met physical needs, taught people about the kingdom of God, and that's what he was doing here, and then he trained others to do the same thing. Let's focus on that second point. He taught about the kingdom of God. He was telling people, there is a day coming where you don't have to be a stranger to God. You don't have to be an outcast from God. You can come and be a part of God's family. Scripture even says that we become joint heirs with Christ. Christ has already ascended into heaven and taken his place on the throne of God in full authority. We become a joint heir with Christ. We also will one day be caught away. The church will be gathered together. We've come up with the word in, in English. We call it the rapture. The, the Bible calls it the catching away of the bride or the catching away of the church. We'll be caught away to be with him, to live with him, and to reign with him forever. This is because of the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and working inside of us. Luke records Jesus' assurance to us that the Holy Ghost is the good gift from God. And that he will gladly give it to us if we desire it and we seek it. Let's go to Luke chapter 11. We already read some of this. 11, 9 through 13. I'm going to read it quickly. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. 
And he that seeketh findeth, and he that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son ask bread of any of you that is his father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give you the Holy, give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Catch the context of this passage. We've preached lots of great sermons, and we've heard lots of great sermons about knocking, seeking, and asking. And I think the principle of asking, seeking, and knocking spreads across the gamut of our relationship with Jesus Christ. But in the teaching that Jesus was doing in this setting, the context of this setting was not about blessing, wasn't about prosperity, it wasn't about material things, it wasn't about human relationships, it wasn't about healing. The context of this teaching was about being filled with His Spirit. If you want His Spirit, ask for it. Because if you ask, you'll receive it. If you want His Spirit, seek for it. Because if you're looking for it, you will find it. If you want His Spirit, it's like a man knocking at the door. The door gets answered. God says there's every opportunity and available privilege to you to be filled with His Spirit. He desires for all of humanity to have His Spirit dwelling inside of Him. Salvation is more than a one-time experience. Salvation is a lifestyle, really. Salvation is being obedient to the gospel and experiencing the gospel. Salvation is that we would repent of our sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then be filled with the promise, filled with the Holy Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues. Some people say, well, well why do you create a, a three-step formula of works for salvation? That's not a three-step formula of works. That's three ingredients in a recipe called obedience. Because everything that God does for us is the result of obedience. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we love him, we will live obedient to him. And his word commands us and, and speaks to us and teaches us and admonishes us that we should obey the gospel. We should die out in repentance just as he died on a cross. We should be buried in the watery grave of baptism just as he was buried in an earthly tomb. And we should raise again in a newness of life by the infilling of his spirit just as he became alive again by the power of God. Let's switch directions a little bit in the lesson. Still talking about a deeper dive into what the Holy Ghost is. But let's talk about more than just what it is. Let's talk about the experience. What did the early church receive? What, 
what was their experience in receiving the Holy Spirit? Let's go to Luke chapter 24, verse 49. This is also the Great Commission. Oftentimes when we read the Great Commission, we go to Matthew chapter 28, but Luke 24 is, is also the Great Commission. And he says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Jesus is telling them, there's coming an empowerment upon you. Not to turn you into Superman or Spider-Man or a superhero. It's an empowerment to make you a testimony, a witness to him and of him. We have to be careful that we don't create a fantasy out of living for God. Can I be honest? It's real. Do you know what? I have bad Mondays too. People with the Holy Spirit have terrible Tuesdays. Not all of them, but we have them every now and then. Our insurance bill's high just like yours. City Utilities raised my gas bill the same as he did everybody else's. Life continues. Being filled with His Spirit, becoming a, a follower of Jesus Christ, doesn't exempt us from life. It just empowers us to be a witness in life. It gives us a voice that, that's higher than the negative. It elevates us, not in, in pride or in arrogance, but it elevates us in the spirit world so that we can look and see beyond the, the heartache and the struggle and the difficulty. It changes us from having a voice of belly aching and whining to having a voice of encouragement, the voice of an evangelist that speaks hope and promise into the next person. So approximately 120 are gathered together. They obeyed the commandment of Jesus Christ. If you want to read this story in the Bible, read the last chapter of Luke and read the first two chapters of Acts. Read them right straight together. Because Luke wrote both, obviously the book of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And you will see that the last few verses of Luke overlay the first, like probably half the chapter of one of Acts. And you see the continuation of the story. You see Jesus gives the Great Commission and you see what the apostles and the followers of Jesus did with the Great Commission and you see how it was fulfilled in their life and how they were empowered to go make disciples. So here it is, Acts chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. You remember, I want to pause right there. You remember Nicodemus came to Jesus? The beginning of John 4. Jesus, you're this great rabbi. Jesus sidesteps the accolades. Says, Nicodemus, you must be born again of the water and the spirit. And Nicodemus is like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And Jesus explains it to him. It's as though the wind blowing. We don't know where it comes from and we don't know where it's going. But we know when it blows. 
There's no coincidence that on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God was poured out, and they were born again of the water, and this time they were born again of the Spirit, that the evidence that was to the external around them was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. They couldn't explain where the rushing mighty wind came from. They couldn't explain where it was going. But let me tell you something, friend. If you're standing in a room where the power of God is moving, there's no denying its existence. Let's continue. And, they, and it filled all of the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set up on each of them. All right, pause that reading again. What did John say? We read the prophecy just a bit ago. There's one whose shoes I'm not worthy to unlatch, but when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Every single one of them, of the 120 that were in the upper room and heard John the Baptist preach that message, had an immediate sign of the fulfilling of that prophecy. There was no question in their mind, is this the Holy Ghost or not? No, no, this is fire. This is the Spirit of God moving on us. This is the fulfillment of John the Baptist's prophecy that there would be fire when the Holy Ghost comes. Another external evidence to them that God's spirit was moving. So now we have two prophecies. That's three fingers. Now we have two prophecies fulfilled. Let's continue. Let's read on through verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Now this is the internal evidence of God's spirit residing in them. This was the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. That they would prophesy with other tongues. There was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Where they would have stammering lips and other tongues. This is the internal proof. Flowing out of them. A river of living water. That the power of the Holy Spirit has been poured out. There was no question to about 120 people. On that day during the feast of Passover, that the power of God had come to them. That the atmosphere had shifted. That all that Jesus had taught to them and led them to believe was now being fulfilled in this very moment in their life. And you read on through Acts chapter 2 and we read it earlier. It wasn't just for the 120. But it's to you, your children, and to all that are far off. 3,000 on that day, 5,000 just a few days later, and you read Acts, it changes from counting it to being multitudes. And I can tell you, there's more than one or two in this room that can give you evidence that the power of His Spirit being poured out and filling us is more than just a historical fact. It's a real day phenomenon. It's a real day miracle. It still happens today. You can be filled with His Spirit today. What we've been teaching and talking about is the, the recording, the passage, the biblical recording of the beginning of the church, the church age. 
It's the beginning of man having a restored relationship with God. It's the fulfillment of promise. It's the fulfillment of prophecy. I already taught all that. Let's scroll. Many people between then and now have received the promise. During the apostles' day, many received his promise. The disciples, having received the power, became what? Witnesses. You read the life of the apostles. They left the upper room and the first thing that happened is they became a witness in the street. First thing. Immediately. They didn't go downstairs and, and participate in the festival and then while they were participating, have the opportunity to maybe share what happened in the upper room. It was so powerful that when they came out of the upper room, they were so transformed that the people in the street said, whoa, whoa, whoa. These people are drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. The festival hasn't even got started yet. And Peter stands up and says, no, 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 no. This is a pretty powerful experience, but this isn't what you think it is. This is the prophetic come to pass. This is the real thing that Joel talked about. And he preaches to them and he leads them and he guides them through this gospel message. He becomes a witness to them. And then you read about the other disciples and they all become witnesses sharing the gospel around. What about Philip? Philip takes the message to Samaria. Now hold on a second, Philip. Why are you taking it to Samaria? They're not full-blooded Jews. Hold on, Philip. The religious people, their bigotry got in the way. Their discrimination began to well up. Their questions became bigger than the miracle. They forgot what Jesus told them and is recorded in Acts chapter 1 and 8. Let's go to Acts 1 and 8. I know that one wasn't in the notes. I pulled one on there. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. Well, we got that covered on the day of Pentecost. And in Judea, that was their, their, their neighbors, their, their relatives, their cousins, their brothers and sisters, their family. And in Samaria. These are the outcasts. These are the Jews who rejected their Jewish heritage and was disobedient to their Jewish culture and went and married Gentiles. And now they've intermingled the bloodlines. They were outcasts. We should be beyond that, just so you know. I thought that would get an amen. We should be beyond, be beyond that. And to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea has been taken care of. And Philip becomes a witness in Samaria. And he goes to Samaria and he begins to teach Jesus to them. And he begins to lead them and guide them and, and help them understand who this Jesus was. 
and what his teachings were and how that he can change their life. And the Bible says that many people believed and many people were baptized, but they hadn't received the Holy Ghost. And so Peter comes to Samaria. Peter and John come to Samaria. Acts chapter 8, verse 17. And when they get to Samaria, Philip gathers them all together, all the believers and all those who have been baptized. Maybe you're here today and you fall in that category. You're a believer who's been baptized. Verse 8 and 17 of Acts. They're all gathered together and Peter and John, this is what they did. Then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Peter and John did not give them the Holy Ghost. God gave them the Holy Ghost. Peter and John laid hands on them and prayed for them to receive the Holy Ghost because Peter was given the keys to the kingdom and Peter is the one that had to open the door to the Samaritans for them to receive the infilling of the Spirit. Peter is also the one who went to Cornelius' house who was a full-blooded Gentile and they were first ones of the Gentiles to receive the Holy Spirit. After that, you don't need Simon Peter to come and lay hands on you anymore. Just the people of God can pray with you and you can be filled with his spirit. So thus the Samaritans who were formerly excluded from eternal life by Jewish tradition have now become partakers of the promise of the Father. Peter delivers this message to the Gentiles at Cornelius' house. which just shared that in Acts chapter 10. God is no respecter of persons. I've got more notes than I have time. Let me speed up the pace. The Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, is going around gathering all these Jesus followers. Stop and think about it. A Pharisee of the Pharisees, trained at the feet of Gamaliel, liked and favored by the Roman government, because he was a Roman citizen, a man of great education, a man of great influence, a man of persuasive lifestyle and persuasive skills. Hired by the government, I would say. Take care of these Jesus people who keep raising up and causing stirs and this, this uh, dysfunction in our communities. Rome wanted it all quiet and silenced. And here he has papers in his hand headed down the road to Damascus thinking he was doing a righteous duty, but really he was just doing a religious obligation. And he comes down the road, and the bright light shines, Jason. Knocks him off of his beast. He's laying on the ground, and the first revelation that comes to Saul is, who art thou, Lord? I've got to know who you are. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. You want to talk about a shocking revelation. No, 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 no. I'm killing all those people. 
I'm wrapping them up. I'm bringing them together. I'm gathering them together. We take them outside of the city, and we stone all the people that follow Jesus. And then here you are laying on the ground, staring into a light so bright that it damages your vision. And out of that light comes the declaration, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Experience like that will transform your life. He goes into Damascus. A preacher comes to him, preaches the gospel message to him, baptizes him, prays for him. He receives the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, he receives healing of his eyesight. The Bible says it's like scales fell off of his eyes. And he becomes a proponent of this infilling of the Holy Ghost. And it takes us to the opening verse where we read today. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Paul becomes the great missionary. He's traveling through Ephesus. He comes across a band of believers. They've not been to Jerusalem. They've not been to Judea. They've not been to Samaria. They've not heard what's going on. And he asked them simply, have you received the Holy Ghost since you become a believer? And they're like, Holy Ghost? Haven't even heard of such a thing. He says, okay, let's find out where you are in your, in your relationship with God. He didn't take anything away from them. He wanted to find out where they were in their journey of the relationship with God. Just simply, let's, let's pinpoint where you are on the map. He says, how were you baptized? Well, we were baptized in the John's baptism. Oh, some stuff's happened since then. Some stuff's happened since then. He shares with them the story and says, you must be now baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Not just for repentance, but now for the remission of those sins. And you can receive the Holy Ghost. And what happens? They're rebaptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He lays hands on them and prays for them. And they begin to speak in other tongues and prophesy. Did I tell you this was a deep dig into what is the Holy Ghost? There's enough Bible verses here today to convince anybody that this is biblical. There's enough Bible here today to convince anybody the infilling of the Spirit is for us today. It is ordained of God. And so then the question becomes, not only is it ordained for God, but what's its essentiality? Is it required? Everybody got real quiet. Preacher, you're going to set a requirement on the church? No, I'm not going to set a requirement on the church. I'm going to look what the Bible says and let the Bible set the requirement. Here's what the Bible says. Acts chapter 5 and verse 32. And ye are, and ye, no, that doesn't say, and we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given. To them that obey him. 
So let me ask you a question. Is it essential that we be obedient to God? It is essential that we be obedient to God. And if we are obedient to God, the Bible tells us that he will then give us his spirit. So, Scripture leads us in this principle to believe that the infilling of his spirit is essential. But let's dig deeper in it. If any man were to obey the commandment of God, they would repent. They would be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they would receive the promise. These are spoken to us in directions to us in Acts chapter 2 and 38. God does not break his promises. If any man is obedient to these and would seek after and knock on the door and ask, God will fill him with the Spirit. Jesus used the verb shall flow in John 4. Flow out of you like a river of living water. John said that those who believe on Jesus Christ should receive the Holy Ghost. Peter said in Acts 2.38 that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. These scripture reference all led us to know that the Holy Ghost is a positive experience of obedience to God. Jesus pointed quite bluntly when he talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 5. And I think this answers the question on whether it's essential to be filled with his spirit. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water, which is baptism, and born of the Spirit, which is the infilling of the Holy Ghost, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's the words of Jesus Christ. So being born of the Spirit is this reference of being born of the Holy Spirit. Jesus died on a cruel cross for our sins. He was buried in the tomb. He rose again on the third day. And so we die and are buried. And we too resurrect in the newness of life by the infilling of his spirit. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 6. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the latter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. How am I born again and have new life in Christ? By the Spirit of God do you get new life in Christ. I'm going to take it all the way back to creation. When you repent of your sins and you're buried in the waters of baptism... It's symbolic of when Jesus Christ grabbed the earth and formed and shaped the humanity. But God doesn't want us to stand in a form as a model. He doesn't want us to represent a moment in time. He wants us to be fluid and dynamic. He wants there to be a connection between our humanity and Him and what was happened in the natural repentance and baptism. He wants to seal it in the spiritual by giving you His Spirit. He reconnects the soul to him and we become alive in him again. You become what he intended for you to be. In Romans, the 8th chapter, Paul talks about life in the flesh. He makes it quite plain to those who believe that the Holy Spirit is a requirement for the rapture. Here's what he says. 
Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. A positive statement. If Christ's spirit lives inside of you, if the spirit of the departed one has come to live inside of you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. He will turn you from a statue into a dynamic, fluid person living for God. He will quicken you. That's the power of being filled with His Spirit. This is why some people are obedient in the flesh, in repentance and in baptism, and they feel like their life and their walk with God stalls out and, and it becomes nothing more than a grind and self-discipline. And those things happen on days when it's tough. It takes a grind and it takes self-discipline and it takes some grit to live for God. But it's not all about grit. Righteousness, peace, and joy come through the Holy Ghost. And that's the empowering of His Spirit to lead us and guide us, to comfort us and empower us. So how does a person know that they've been filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm going to give you a whole bunch of verses. We're going to hit them really quickly. We're coming to a close. A person born of the Spirit knows they've been born of the Spirit and they've received the power of His Spirit by the evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. We do not have a class at LifeSpring Church that teaches you how to speak in tongues. It doesn't exist. Because the Bible tells us that we speak in tongues as the Spirit gives us utterance. Not as a class trains you the utterance. The evidence of His Spirit coming upon us is separate and apart from what is later talked about in the epistles as the gift of tongues. Isaiah prophesied about the infilling of the Spirit in Isaiah 28 and 11. For a stammering lips and other tongues He will speak to His people. Jesus confirmed it. We read it in John 3, 8. The wind blows where it will and has the voice thereof and knoweth not where it comes from or where it's going. This is as one born of the Spirit. Jesus spoke again on the evidence in Mark 16 and 17. And they shall speak with new tongues. Acts 2 and 4, we read it says they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Peter recognized that Cornelius' house had received the Holy Spirit not because they watched them for weeks on weeks and months on months to see if the fruit of the Spirit was evident in their life, but they knew immediately because they spoke in other tongues. Ten and Acts 10 and 46 says, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Paul knew that the disciples in Ephesus had received the Holy Spirit not because he put them in a, in a program to find out their giftings and their learnings and their talents and their skills and their abilities and took them through an analysis and a quiz and an essay and a class. Oh, you operate in this gift. 
No, he knew they had received the Holy Ghost because after he laid hands and prayed for them, Acts 19 and 6 says, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Even to this day, when someone is born of the Spirit, we will hear the voice or the sound of the Spirit. The sound is the speaking of tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. It's a language that we don't learn. It's a language that we don't understand. It's the Spirit of God speaking through us. He gives us the words to say, yet we don't understand them. That's the utterance. And our obedience is just speaking out those words. Oftentimes when a person is first filled with the Holy Spirit and as they begin their the relationship with God with the Spirit, often it's as a child. You ever met a baby and they say something and the mom's like, this is what they said and you're like, they said what? It's, it's, it's different because you're with them all day long and understand what that squeal sounds like and what that's supposed to mean. That's how it is when we are born as a new babe in Christ. We'll, his spirit will come and we'll begin to speak in tongues and, and we shouldn't have an expectation that, that a new babe in Christ would speak in tongues with, with some level as, as the same as a person who's been living for God for years and, and has experienced this and has grown in their relationship with God. We should set an expectation on what it means to be filled with his spirit and speaking in tongues. We should let the Holy Ghost give them the other. ability and my, my energy and my time and my, my resource in worshiping for God worshiping God and it have no value, it have no return, it have no purpose, it have no meaning, it only being a facade, it only being a, a shallow relationship. I'm not interested in the Apostles' Creed. I'm not interested in the papers written by denominational men. I'm not interested in the results of all the councils. I think they had good intentions. 
I think their spirits, in the most part, was trying to better the church. But they took man's theology and man's philosophy and man's view of Scripture and they have twisted it and they have warped it and there now are doctrines that are taught and people are obedient to them that have no foundation in Scripture. How can a church say, we don't believe that you even need to be baptized anymore? Where does that come from? How can a church say, that if you'll simply just say, I receive Jesus Christ, that I automatically, forever, am going to go to heaven. It's not my intention to throw stones today, but I'm trying to draw a contrast. We must be sure that I'm founded not just upon the commandments of men, but let my conviction be on the commandments of His Word. Let my conviction be upon the teaching of His Word. If I don't understand it, let me dig deeper in it. If I'm not sure, let me make my salvation sure in His Word. It was the Apostle Peter who on the day of Pentecost, after saying the promises to you and your children, says, save yourselves from this untorn generation. He wasn't saying go create a doctrine. He wasn't saying go start a church. He wasn't saying create your own plan of salvation. He says you have a personal responsibility for your salvation. You can't be saved off the previous generation's relationship. You can't be saved off a, a peer's relationship. You must have your own relationship. Apostle Paul made the same declaration. Save yourselves from this untorn generation. He wasn't again telling them to create a church, a doctrine, their own plan of salvation. He was reiterating again and again. There's a one-on-one -on -one relationship that was in the beginning between humanity and God. And God seeks for that one-on-one -on -one connection again. And every single one of us, He wants you to be in perfect communion with Him. He wants His Spirit connecting you and Him together. You can, should, ought to be, and can be filled with His Spirit. Stand with me this morning. If you've never received the infilling of the Holy Ghost, you can receive the Spirit infilling today. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost today. What is required to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The Bible teaches us that if you want to be filled with His Spirit, you must ask. You must have repented of your sins. And you must be committed, believer, in following Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.